All right. Well, we are finishing up our series, Who Needs Christmas? And so we've been speaking now for a few weeks on this topic of who needs Christmas. And uh, I have to say, um, and I think I can do this all right. He won't get mad. Well, if he does, it's okay. Um, In that video, it talked about ugly sweaters. And I see no ugly sweaters here today, except for one. And so I need everybody to look back at the sound booth. Look at TJ. TJ's got a very festive sweater going on back there. Love it. That's uh, great. I think, the, the is that a reindeer on the front? What is that? That's pretty great. I'm going to need one of those. So if you can get on ordering that for me, that'd be great. Yeah, perfect. Awesome. No, uh, there's so many great things that go along with the Christmas season and just so many celebrations and traditions. And hopefully you guys have had a great week already um, just celebrating things that are going on. Some of you have things going on tonight, tomorrow, this week. Um, Some of you have family Christmases. We're going to get everyone together and do a big thing. Uh, It's so much fun. And like I've been saying all along, enjoy every single moment that you can enjoy of this Christmas season. So often we get so burdened down and weighed down with work and stress and politics and all this other stuff that, man, we just kind of lose track of days. And next thing you know, we're not really enjoying this life that's been a gift to us, God says. And so I want to encourage you, whatever you can do as far as this season is concerned, spend as much time with family as possible. Spend as much time with the kids as possible. Do whatever you can to enjoy every moment of the season. And that's all good stuff that we can get into, the dinners and the holidays and the gift giving and all that. And by the way, if you're one of those Grinches that's like, I don't like gifts, um, you've bought into the lie of what gift giving isn't really about. See, giving a gift isn't out of obligation or to make the person happy or to keep your wife happy so she doesn't like get mad at you. Okay, it's not giving your wife a good gift so she'll give you a better gift. That's not how this works. Okay, that's more of a contract than a marriage. But here's the truth of it. When you give someone a gift, either tonight or tomorrow morning, or maybe some of you have already done gift giving, you've already kind of done that with some family, you get to extend grace to another human being. And I want you to imagine when you give that person that gift that they didn't work for, they didn't earn, they didn't deserve even necessarily, but you're just giving them this gift as an an evidence of the grace that you just want to show them love and and show them the grace you've received. And then the joy comes across your face and you get to watch them open that present. Man, that's what gift giving is all about. It's not about obligation and guilt and manipulation. It's about enjoying the process of getting that gift. And listen, some of you, I'm going to tell you right now, some of you have already been stressed out because you, didn't, you weren't able to get maybe all the things you wanted to get. Maybe you've heard of someone else that got some gifts and you're like, oh man, I could never buy my kids that. And you allowed the enemy, you allowed the society that we live in to convince you that it's not really the gift that matters, it's the amount of gifts. Or it's the intrinsic value of the gift. It's the, how much did you spend on the gift? Or what do other people think about the gift? That at all is not about gift giving either. It's about you and your own heart and mind saying, what can I give this person to show them that I love them? Can I tell you, honestly, when my kids were little, uh, little lure, I should say, they used to do just the simplest things for gifts. Anybody love like, car, like construction paper cards? How many of you guys love construction paper cards? Now that's the best. We were so blessed. We did our Word of Life store uh, recently for our kids program on Wednesday nights. And they get to earn Bible bucks. And then they go to the Word of Life store and they kind of spend the Bible bucks on different things that were donated. uh, Candy, toys, all kinds of stuff. And I was so blown away by our kids. Not my kids specifically. Them too. But I mean, our Word of Life kids. Man, there were kids, so many kids that were like, well, I'm going to buy this for my brother. I'm going to buy this for my mom. And I'm going to do this for them. And I'm going to do this for them. And man, I was like floored. Just that the generosity these kids were showing. And you know what? Those parents and those brothers and sisters and all that stuff, when they open up these little gifts, small little things that maybe cost two, three dollars, man, I hope that they see the joy in the gift giving and not so much about what it cost. I think that's the problem is we get so wrapped up in how much. Listen, as a parent, in years past, Uh, You can raise your hand if you can agree with this or not. I don't know if anyone would testify to this or not publicly, but I will because I'm just, I don't know, we're people. In years past, we used to get the gifts all ready, you know, and you get all excited. And then you step back and you're like, wow, that's not nearly as much as I thought it was going to be under the tree. Anybody ever been there? And then you feel a little guilty, don't you? Oh, man, I really thought this was going to look fuller. And then you might go behind and you start kind of like fluffing it, you know what I'm saying? Like there's not as much under the core of the tree. You kind of push it out a little bit so it looks fuller. 
so that when you, know, you get your kids in front of it, you can take that picture and you look like you've got it all together. Man, we got to be careful. That's not what this is about. Man, it doesn't matter if you got one gift under your tree. It's about just showing that love that Christ gave to us. Man, the greatest gift we've ever received is his grace and his mercy. And it arrived in the kind of ugliest wrapping paper you can imagine. It wasn't pretty. It didn't present well. Nobody else really cared. Just some shepherds, a couple guys from the east. That's about it. It didn't have all the ribbons and the tinsel and everything. It wasn't perfect. But it was the greatest gift because it was what we needed. It wasn't even really what we wanted, to be honest. It was what we needed. And so listen, as you're giving gifts in the next day or two or week, man, let that permeate your thinking that you're just, you're not wrapped up in what society thinks. You're giving gifts because you want to extend grace to another human being because you've received grace. Let's look at Isaiah. Go all the way back to Isaiah. We've been looking at Isaiah 9, 6. We're actually going to go back a couple chapters to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. We've been reading through Isaiah 9, 6. I love that that verse was read this morning again. Uh, just so cool how God works that stuff out. But we've been talking now for a few weeks about who really needs Christmas. Who needs Christmas? We talked about all these great things that we do. You could do all those things without Christmas. You could have dinners without Christmas. You can give gifts without Christmas. You can do all these things. TJ could wear his sweater without Christmas. I mean, it might look a little weird without Christmas, but he could do that. So who really needs Christmas? Well, we've been talking now for a few weeks, and we discovered that those that need Christmas are people who are desperate. People who need a wonderful counselor. We talked about those who need a mighty God are those that need Christmas. We talked about a couple weeks ago that those that need the blessing of a father need Christmas because Jesus Christ is the everlasting Father. He is the Father of all eternity, the Bible says. Which if you ever just get a little bit like hung up in your worship and you're like, I'm not really sure what I can worship him for today, just take five seconds and say, thank you for being the creator and the, the sustainer of all eternity and being also my Savior. And if you need to worship him for something, worship him for being the Father of all eternity. But we found out last week that even those that are living with stress need Christmas because he is the Prince of Peace. So who really needs Christmas? Well, this morning I want to look at Isaiah chapter 7 and then go over to Luke chapter 2 in just a moment and see who else needs Christmas. Isaiah 7 and verse 14. Isaiah 7 and verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign... Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now let's look at that again. Verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. Go over to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 in the New Testament. Here we read that, Isaiah says that a sign is going to be given. A sign is made available to us. So as you fast forward to Luke chapter 2, look at verse 10. Luke chapter 2 and verse 10 says this. And the angel said unto them, fear not. I love that from the play last week. I know I mentioned this last week, but I love that. When the kids in our Christmas musical talked about the fact that whenever angels said fear not, what did people always do? It freaked out, right? So I love that. Anyway, if you weren't here last week, we are going to make the video available if you'd like to get a copy of Angel Alert. Um, if you were unavailable to be here or something, we would love to make that available to you. And we'll let you know when that's going to be uh, finished and kind of done. And so you guys can look at getting that for yourselves. But look at, it goes on in verse 10 there. He says, For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. The angel uses the same term we see in Isaiah chapter 7. 800 years later, Isaiah writes these words, that there will be a sign that will be given, that this virgin will conceive and bear a son. And you shall call him Emmanuel. And 800 years later, Mary and Joseph find themselves in the stable. And she gives birth to Jesus Christ, 
who is Emmanuel, God with us, and lays the babe in a manger. And I can't imagine all the things that were going through their minds as they're realizing, little by little, the fulfilling of this prophecy from 800 years prior. But there's another key we have to understand about this sign that was given. This sign that was made available for us. The angel says, if you look there in verse 10, good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. We learn that everyone, everyone, every human being needs Christmas. See, we say the desperate need Christmas. Those that need the blessing of a father need Christmas. Those that are living with stress need Christmas. But if we're really being honest, looking at the prophecy of what Christ was meant to do, everyone needs Christmas. And I want to walk through this and see how do we understand that for our own lives, but also for those around us. Would we do this? Would you bow in a word of prayer with me as ask the Lord to bless his word, to bless this time this morning? And here's what I want to do. If you're at all sitting in that chair, and you're feeling the stress of the holidays. You're feeling the stress and the weight of getting stuff together. You're feeling the guilt because maybe you weren't able to do as much as you wanted to do for your family or for your children. The enemy is convincing you that it's more about what you put under the tree than about what you do for someone else this season. Then I'm going to ask that when we bow in prayer that you would just surrender those emotions, surrender those feelings to the Lord, and say, Lord, would you just comfort me with your grace. Comfort me with your peace and help me to see what Christmas is all about. And so would you bow with me in a word of prayer as we ask the Lord to do that in all of our hearts this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time of year. Lord, you gave us a sign. 800 years before Christ was born, you told your people that there would be a time when you would send one who would be God with them. One that would be the God-man, the one that would be the mediator between our, our, our lives and, and your holiness. And I pray, Lord, that as we go through the service today, that we would connect the dots for ourselves, but that we would also connect the dots for others. That we would realize that it's not just about receiving this gift of salvation, it's about giving this gift of salvation to those around us. And so I pray, Lord, that you would be with the one or more here that are struggling, allowing the negative things in this season to kind of pull them down, the commercialism to pull them down, becoming cynical and jaded against this holiday. And I pray that you would replace those emotions with joy. Pure, unspeakable joy. That it would be a time of great celebration. There would be a warmth in the homes. And not because of what we put under the tree. Lord, some in this room are able to do a lot for their children at Christmas. Some, not as much when it comes to the physical things. I pray that those that are blessed, that can do a lot, would not feel guilty, but would use it as an example of giving grace to those around them. Father, for those that are unable to do a lot this year, I pray that they wouldn't feel guilty or shamed, but they would realize that they can give the greatest gift freely to those around them, which is the love of Christ. And so we pray in all these things that you would be glorified, that you would speak through the message this morning, and that you would be encouraged, or that we would be encouraged to walk as followers of Christ. We love you, Lord, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 2 gives us a beautiful picture of who this sign is for. He says that all people are available to this sign. In Luke, the term people means a people group, a tribe, or a nation. However, not all people were joyful at Christ's birth. Think about this just for a moment. Think about those that were surrounding the birth of Christ. Those that would be around the life of Christ in a short time. Herod wanted to kill the child. And in fact, killed many in the community because he tried to kill this one that was born king. The scribes and Pharisees will reject him, as will most of the Jewish nation. And the Romans will crucify him. So who exactly are these people that will have great joy because of Christ. I mean, think about that. All this aggression, all these things going on around the birth of Christ and the life of Christ, and yet the angel says he will be a joy to all people. Listen to what one author said in regards to this people, the people that are joyful at Christ's 
birth. And I love this. That's why I kind of wrote it, wrote it down. I wanted to share it with you kind of verbatim from this author. He says this, To all that were waiting for him, these are those that are joyful at Christ's birth, the people that are joyful, to all that were waiting for him and were looking for redemption in Israel, to all sensible sinners who rejoice at his birth, and in his salvation, to all the chosen people of God, whether Jews or Gentiles, whom God has taken to be his covenant people and has given to, to his son as such to redeem and save, to these, the incarnate of Christ, incarnation of Christ, with all the benefits resulting from it, is the cause of great joy when they are made a willing people in the day of Christ's power. There's a phrase in there I love. Who exactly is joyful at the birth of Christ? And he says this, To all sensible sinners who rejoice at his birth and at his salvation. Man, you and I, we needed Christ to come. And maybe you've reached a point in your life, whether you're saved or maybe you don't know Christ, and you don't really know that's true. Or you knew it was once true, but it's kind of lost its, its effect. Because you've convinced yourself now that you're a pretty good person because you're in Christ and you're better than all those sinners. And listen, every person in this room, every person on this planet needed Christ to come. We had no options outside of Christ. We needed him to come 2,000 years ago to be born of a virgin. It was our only hope for forgiveness of sins. Nothing else worked. Following the law didn't work. Doing all these things we try to do didn't work. Good deeds don't work. But Christ came because we needed him to come. And when we become sensible sinners, what that means is we realize the effect of our sin, the power of our sin, and the penalty of our sin by his enlightenment working in and through our hearts. We realize those truths in our lives, and then we realize the power of his salvation. We become greatly aware of our need for him. But the more we convince ourselves that we're really okay and we're really good people and we really aren't that bad off, the less and less we believe we really needed him. And the more and more we think we could do it on our own. And some of us, we hear about what happened in Genesis when Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden. And we read about God's punishment on mankind. And some are convinced that it was such a severe punishment, we don't really understand why God was so severe in his punishment to us. I watched a video just not that long ago by R.C. Sproul. And I love what he says in this kind of panel discussion he was having with a group of people. And they asked that question. They said, man, why was God's punishment on sin so severe? And he just kind of sat back in his chair. I don't agree with everything he says, but I love what he said about this. He said, man, who do we think we are that we could raise our hands to God and say that your judgment, your punishment was too severe? He says, no, no, no. If anything, if the more we understand who we really are and the more we understand who he really is, we'll be asking the question, why wasn't it more severe than it was? Why was he so gracious? And when we understand a holy and just God, a perfect God who demands perfection because he's worthy of perfection, looks at a world of sinners who willfully walked away from him as though he did anything bad. He did anything wrong. I love when he challenges the people of Israel in the Old Testament and Jeremiah. He says, what have I done? He challenges the people of God, the Israelites. What have I done that's so bad that you would willingly walk away from me? That I would offer you this water and you would go to broken cisterns instead of trusting in me. What have I done to cause you to distrust me so much? I mean, to me, that sounds like the cries of a father with a broken heart who's begging for his children to realize, man, what I have for you is so much better. But we don't understand it. And then 2,000 years ago, Christ came and was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on a sinner's cross, and now we get to receive that grace and forgiveness of sin and have a relationship with that God, that Father, because we needed him to come. And without him, we would have nothing. 
we would have the traditions and the meals and the sweaters and the presents, and it's all good. But man, we'd be empty inside. Because the only thing that fills permanently, the only thing that fills abundantly, the only thing that fulfills truly is Christ and Christ alone. Man, you ever been loved unconditionally? And once you know unconditional love, conditional love doesn't quite match up, does it? And when you realize that you're loved by Christ unconditionally, purely based on his forgiveness of sin, purely based on his grace and mercy, man, then we'll begin to live as those that are truly loved. And then you know what we get to do? We get to love others with that kind of love. To be an example of that kind of Christ-like love. To me, everyone needs Christmas. Truly, Christmas is for everyone because everyone needs Christ. The baby was born as a sign to everyone. He is for those that are poor and needy or average and just ordinary. Think about this just for a moment. The poor and the needy are represented by the shepherds who come and just are there to worship him and to honor him. But then also he is there for the rich and the influential. These would be represented by the wise men, both surrounding the birth of Christ. Christ came into this world in such a humble and lowly accommodations. There was no fanfare, no media coverage, or royal greeting party. Do you guys ever see this on TV when a dignitary goes to a foreign country? Do you ever see this? And what do they do for that person when they show up on the, on the runway and they're getting off the plane? What's it look like surrounding the airport? What's going on on the tarmac? You guys can answer out loud. It's okay. What's going on? Okay, greeting, okay? When our president goes to a foreign country, is it just like one guy out there like, hey, what's going on? How's it going? Yeah, we got your taxi over here. Why don't you come on in and jump in? Is that what it looks like? No, man, there's, there's a band. There's all these people of influence from that nation. There's all this fanfare. Just from one guy, a human being, visiting your country. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, is born in a stable. And the only ones that show up are a handful of shepherds. And sometime later, we're not sure how much later, the wise men. It's amazing to me that when the King of Kings came to this world, there was no fanfare. There was no great elaborate coverage of this event. And what really gets me is they all knew what to look for. I mean, think about this for a moment. When Herod asked his scribes, his religious leaders, when the wise men showed up, he asked them one question. Where is the Messiah going to be born? And what do they say? We have no idea, right? Man, we don't even know. I wish we did know because we'd be there, but we don't even know. Is that what they say? No, they say, oh, no, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. We know. We've known for hundreds of years. But yet, even with all of these things going around here, none of those scribes and Pharisees get a little curious and go, maybe I should go check this out. Did you ever think about that? You're the scribe in Herod's palace. These wise men show up following a star that just appeared. Already, that should be kind of a red flag. Not the smartest guy in the world, but if a star shows up that's bright enough to lead people from the east to Bethlehem, I'd be a little concerned, like, "Mm, maybe there's something to this prophecy thing. Then these guys show up and say, we're looking for the one born king. There's only one born king in the Old Testament prophecy. That's Christ. Again, red flag. Then Herod comes and says, hey, where is he born king? Well, he's born in Bethlehem. Herod walks away. You don't think you and your scribe buddies would go, what do you think about this, man? I mean, Bethlehem's not that far away. Maybe we should run over there and just see. I mean, I got that, you know, I'm teeing off at 2 o'clock, but I think we should work this in. No, they don't even go investigate. Do you know what that tells me? That the apathy among God's people had become so great that even in the religious elites, those that knew the Scripture the best, they had still become so apathetic that they weren't even willing to put their own schedules on hold to go investigate what God might be doing. And so this is my warning to me in my life. And sometimes we can go to church so long, we just think we got it all figured out. And what accompanies that kind of lifestyle, that kind of mindset, is this thing called apathy. And we almost get so apathetic that when God begins to move somewhere, we are not even willing to step out of our comfort and go, maybe I should go check that out. Because here's the truth. If God is working somewhere and we are the people of God, we should want to be where God is working. 
But man, if we start doubting and thinking we just, you know, it doesn't match what we think. It doesn't match what we think it should look like. It's not how I would do it. I just don't want to take the time. Man, Christmas is for everyone because everyone needs Christ. Jesus came into this world to save sinners from their sin. And as he says later in the Gospels, to heal the sick that need a physician, speaking of the disease of sin. The sign makes one thing abundantly clear. This beautiful sign to all people, no matter race, religion, geography, where they are, doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. It's for all people. The sign makes one thing abundantly clear, and I hope you get this as you celebrate Christmas this season. There are no depths. Christ will not descend to bring his love and grace to those that need it. Now, maybe that doesn't do anything for you. That does something for me. That kind of stirs something in me. I want to read that again. I want you to think about this. This sign that Christ would come to us makes one thing abundantly clear. There are no depths. Christ will not descend to bring his love and grace to those that need it. And he did everything, abandoned everything to come to us to be the God-man that we needed. This sign is no less clear for us today. If we will take the time to look around us, we will see the signs of God in the messiest places in our life. Can we just be honest for a moment? Anybody got, in the last month, had a messy Something you say, my, my life got a little messy, got a little crazy. Anybody got that this, this last month? Okay, a couple people. Anybody say that this last year has been kind of a messy year at times, back and forth? Okay. Some of you are laughing. You know why you're laughing? Because you're just like, that's my only defense mechanism against the craziness. I just have to laugh because it's so ridiculous. Man, you know what? When Christ came, he showed us that his He's willing to do anything to take his love to those that need it. But he's also showing us that I'll come to the messiest, craziest, most upside-down part of your life. And I'll walk right in, and I'll sit right down, and I'll just want to be with you. I just want to show you my love. This is so crucial to us because our lives can be messy, and our world is messy. It's not picture perfect, but in those moments we see his grace and presence as they did on that first Christmas night. The point is, stop trying to clean up your mess and just realize Jesus wants you as you are in your mess. Stop trying to make yourself better and get yourself cleaned up. Just go to him as you are. When we see pictures of the nativity scene, I get a little bit kind of like, okay, when you see the nativity scene, you see people that look like they just got out of the shower, right? Like they're just clean and good. I mean, Mary's got a little, little blush on, right? She's, her makeup's all done. Her hair's perfect. She just had a baby in a stable. Like, ladies, how many of you would have loved right after you delivered to have a picture of yourself taken that for the rest of history would record what you looked like after Jesus was born? Men, as you're sweating profusely because you have no idea what to do in the delivery room, all those classes they make you take, waste of time. Literally, I get up there by Sandra and she's breathing, looking at me. I won't say some of the things she said. No, I'm just kidding. She didn't go there. Um, I'll never forget the one thing, though, we, uh, with one of our, I think it was Josiah, uh, they couldn't give her an epidural. Okay. And I'm serious. I thought she wanted me to go score like heroin in the parking lot. She was like, get me some drugs now. I was like, back away. All right. How many of you, in the name of Christ, I compel you. No, okay. How many of you would want that image? Now, listen, we're not talking about, you know, the baby gets cleaned up a little bit, which, by the way, babies are kind of gross when they first, you know, are delivered. Can we be real? Like, babies aren't pretty when they're first born. A mom thinks they are because, well, you're the mom. But anyone else in society would go, ooh, like, hose that thing off a little bit. You know, like, let's just let's put it in the, I mean, clean it up a little bit, you know. Get some baby wipes going on here. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's cool. Listen, I'm just being honest. But here's the thing. Do we see that depicted in the nativity? What do we see in the nativity? Perfect people in perfect poses, perfectly clean. Even the animals are, like, spotless. Some of you have been on or work on or live on a farm, 
with animals. Are they always clean, perfectly manicured? No, of course not. Because that's not reality. And here's the reality. The nativity scene, the first Christmas, was a messy scene. And that's okay because that's Jesus showing us, I'll come right into your mess. I'll come right into your craziness. And I'll receive you right where you are if you're willing to put your faith and your trust in me. This is how Jesus decided to enter the world, in the crazy upside-down lives of a couple of teenagers who were willing to say, okay, I'll just surrender. We'll just be whatever you want us to be. We're just going to surrender our lives to you. You see, here's the thing. It's not about going to Jesus in your mess and saying, here's my mess. Be okay with it. Be okay with me and where I am and accept me exactly as I am without me changing at all. No, no, no. It's going to Christ and saying, here's my mess. Here's my craziness. I want to surrender this to you. I want you to change me. I surrender my life to you. I put my faith and trust in you. And I'm asking you to make me into who you want me to be. We've got a really weird view in Christianity. It's almost like it's either clean yourself up, then come to Christ, or don't do anything. Just come to Christ and keep living in sin, and it's okay. Because in the end, love wins. That's just two ends of a really bad spectrum. And we need to be right in the middle where the Bible is and say, no, no, we come to him as we are, but we let him change us into who he is. And we, we're okay with that. We're okay with that. We don't have to be perfect, but we can't come to Christ and say, hey, here's my sin, and I'm going to expect you to let me keep sinning as though nothing has changed. How can you possibly come to Christ and receive his salvation and not be changed? It's impossible. And so many Christians have prayed a prayer and signed a card and done this thing and think that because they went through the motions of some religious work that they're somehow saved. I don't know. It's about complete surrender of saying, Lord, I confess I am a sinner. I have sinned before you. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I ask that you would save me from my sin and I give my life to you. And you watch him begin to change you. Now listen, it doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect right away. In fact, it'll never be perfect. There are some things he's going to work little by little on you with, and some things it will be instantaneous. But here's the beauty of it. When he gives you the Holy Spirit, you're going to know. He's going to start changing you and making you in his image. And it's amazing that even in the messy parts of your life, he will be with you. And he will use those messy parts of your life to show you what he has for you. You see, Christ is for everyone. Because not only everyone needs Christ, but Christ wants everyone couple verses you can write down for reference. Romans chapter 10 and verse 13. And then 2 Peter 3, 9. 2 Peter 3, 9. Let's go there together. 2 Peter 3, 9. Christmas is for everyone, not because just we need Christ, but Christ wants everyone. 2 Peter 3, 9. Very popular verse. Many of us have read this or memorized this. It's a great encouragement to me when we think about our mission as Christ followers. It says here, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. When it's talking here in verse 9, it's basically saying there were those, even in this day, even in the early church, that were saying, you know, you guys keep saying Christ is coming back. You keep saying Christ is going to judge, but he's not back yet. He's never coming back. They actually thought it's, he's not come back when we want him to come back, so therefore he must not be coming back. And Peter's words here, listen, God is not lazy. God is not forgetful. God is not slothful. He's saying he is long-suffering. That word long-suffering means patience. And who is he patient toward? He's patient to us. And let's just stop and just say amen for his patience to us. Amen? If it wasn't for his long-suffering, you wouldn't have made it very far in life as a sinner walking from Christ. But because of his patience, because he is gracious, and because he is long-suffering, he says, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And he's given you time, breath in your lungs, life to live, so that you have time to repent. You have time to turn from your sin and to trust in Christ. Every breath you breathe is a gift from God, and we'll talk about that more tonight. And we are so, we should be so grateful for his patience, for his long-suffering to us. You see, Christ desires that all would be saved. However, the truth and the reality is not everyone will be redeemed. Only those that have placed their trust in Christ will receive the fullness of eternal life. Remember, he is the source of all eternity. If you want eternal life, you have to go to the originator of eternal life, the father of all eternity. 
However, God desires for everyone to accept his free gift of salvation. God will not force you to receive the gift. It is 100% your choice to respond or reject. Jesus makes this reference all throughout the Gospels, but there is a subtle hint to it in John 17, 20. When he's praying, he says this, Not just these, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. He's praying for his disciples in John chapter 17 after he prays for himself. Then he prays for his church. Isn't it amazing that 2,000 years ago before he went to the cross, he prayed for you? Think about that for a moment. You're sitting here right now with everything going on in your life, and 2,000 years ago Christ was praying for you right now in what you're going through. You feel a little overwhelmed. You feel a little stressed. You feel a little like you can't handle it. It's okay. 2,000 years ago, Christ, the Son of God, God himself, your Savior, was praying for you. That doesn't do much for you. All right. Well, I think it's pretty amazing that 2,000 years ago, someone that you've never met that died on the cross for your sins, buried and rose again, was praying for you to remain faithful to him before you were ever even thought of. I think that's pretty cool. And the reason I think that's pretty cool and pretty powerful is because it reminds me of who I am in Christ. That he has not forgotten you. He has not let you go. He is not unaware of your situation. He is very aware of your situation. So much so that 2,000 years ago, some of you will get this when you get home and then Carl, you'll go, I get it now. 2,000 years ago, he was praying for you. That's amazing. You see, Christ says in his very prayer, as he was praying for his disciples and praying for those that would believe on him through their word. Who are those that believe on Christ through the word of the apostles? That's you and I, the church today. Jesus makes it clear that there will be those that believe the gospel, the apostles preached, receiving salvation, and those that will not. You can reference John chapter 3 and verse 3. We must be born again. There are two types of people in the world. Those that are born naturally and die naturally. And those that are born naturally are born spiritually and then die. And I pray that you are of the second group, of the latter group. I pray that you have received Christ and been born again. That you may walk his kingdom one day. You see here we read that God's desire is that all would receive Christ. He makes this evidently clear because Christ did all that was necessary. Christ did all that was necessary. Turn over to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. I want to look at just a couple more verses before we get ready to to close. Galatians chapter 1. You see, the reality is not everyone will be redeemed. We have a choice to make. He will never force his love on you. He will love you continually. But if you die in your sin without receiving Christ as your Savior, he will not force you to know him. He will not force you to receive his salvation. He is willingly and lovingly and graciously offering an invitation to you. And this is an encouragement to us because this is what we need to do with those around us. And as many of us know Christ as our Savior, and we're on this time of year of giving and gift giving, we need to realize that we cannot force Christ on someone else. You cannot force your neighbor to get saved. You can't force your child to get saved. You can't force your spouse to get saved. It's not about making them come to a decision. It's about sharing with them the glorious grace that is available for the forgiveness of sins and letting them make their decision, letting them decide what they're going to do. You see, Christ demonstrated this to us. He preached the gospel to everyone, to the Pharisees and to the poor, to the weak and to the strong, and yet he leaves them with the choice to make on their own. Christ did all that was necessary. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 3. Listen to Paul's words here to the church of Galatia. He says this, Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We celebrate the birth of Christ tomorrow, December 25th. We're going to gather around and say, man, God, thank you so much for coming to us because we needed you to come. But I pray that we remember today more than any other day maybe that he didn't just come to this world to be born of a virgin, to live a sinless life, and then to die. He came to die for us. Galatians says very clearly in chapter 1, verse 4, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. He was born to offer his life on the cross. 
He paid the sacrifice for our impurities. As the Old Testament lamb was slain as a symbol of a sin covering, Christ was the lamb that was taken away the sins of the world. So here's what I want to say as we kind of wrap this up and kind of finish out this message. I want us to stop and just think about where are you before God right now? Like, like what is your standing before God? Do you know him as your Lord and personal Savior? Have you received him into your heart and into your life, not out of an act of religion or obligation, but have you personally received Christ as your Savior? Not just said a prayer or raised your hand or signed a card or joined a church or tithed or was baptized, but you personally received Christ as your Lord and Savior. And here's what I want to challenge you with. If you've done that, then your standing before God is as his son or daughter. Holy, without blame, spotless, the Bible says. And so if you feel like sin is kind of raging around you, then maybe you would surrender those thinkings, those thoughts, and say, you know what, God, I am yours, and you are mine, and I don't have to give in to this sin anymore. I'm going to surrender this to you. I repent of this sin. I turn from it, and I walk with you and in your grace. But maybe you're here and you don't know Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. Maybe you've gone to church a lot. Maybe you grew up in church, but you don't know Christ then my prayer for you would be that you would receive Christ this morning. Not a religion, not a denomination, not a prayer, not anything else. Just you personally say, you know what, Lord, I need your forgiveness of my sins. I ask that you would save me. I ask that you would redeem me. I ask that you would come into my life and forgive me of these sins, that I would live for you. And you allow him to begin to change you. And you receive this Christmas the greatest gift you could ever receive, the forgiveness of your sins and eternal life. But I want to encourage also those that know Christ that you would endeavor starting today that you will no longer just focus on the gift you've been given for your benefit but how you can give that gift to others. How you can be someone that shares your faith with others. You see, when you think about what I just read a little bit ago that Christ was the lamb that took away the sins of the world for those that would receive it. If you hear that and it doesn't shake you to the core, it doesn't push you to step out of your apathy, it doesn't create in you a desire to surrender all and follow him, I would ask you then, do you truly believe what Christ did was for you? If it doesn't push you to say, you know what, I'm willing to say to the Lord, anything you want me to do, I will do. Anything you want me to give up, I'll give up. I will surrender all. I will forsake all. And you might think, man, it's a little extreme. We've been studying the apostles, the disciples on Sunday nights the last week or two. But I want you to realize, man, read the gospel of Luke chapter 5. And look at when these disciples were called and they said both times, we forsake all and we follow you. We're forsaking all and follow you. Because following Christ was more important. Being a follower of Christ was more important than anything else. And what pushed them to that understanding? Because they truly believed in who Christ was. And so as we look back to the cross and we read these beautiful words in Galatians chapter 1 that I pray are more than just words to you. And you read verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins. That he might deliver us from this present evil world. I don't know how you can read the first five or six words of that verse and not just get crushed by the feeling of gratitude and thankfulness and praise. Who gave himself for our sins. Listen, Christmas is so much more than trees and lights and carols. Christmas is so much more than family dinners and friends. It's so much more than the gift that you got your spouse or your girlfriend or your fiancé that you can't wait for them to open up tomorrow morning and you're just so pumped to see the look on their face. It's beautiful, but it's so much more than that. It's about a man who was the God-man who left the realms of glory and said, I'll do whatever is necessary that these people, my people, humanity, will see my love manifested for them. And have an opportunity to know me for all eternity. Have their sins forgiven. And it's so much more than maybe what we think. Now that we understand that Jesus did all that was necessary, we must decide what is necessary for us to do. Two words that can and cha- will change everything. 
Two words that you can say this morning to God, to your Savior, in a response to knowing what Jesus did for you. Two simple words that I think more of us need to work on saying more often. It's simply put, I'm sorry. You see, you need to say, I'm sorry to the Lord for your sin. Humble yourself and receive the comfort and healing he desires to give you. And I want to encourage you, if you have said these two words to the Lord before, he is still waiting to hear them from you. And that will lead to the next most important two words you need to say to him, which is, forgive me. You see, don't believe the lie that your life is too messed up, that you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube, if you will, that you can't change, that God can't make it any different. Christ can change anyone who is willing to say those final two words, save me. And if you're willing to go before your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and say, I'm sorry, forgive me, and save me. His grace is for you. And as long as there is breath in your lungs, his grace is available to you to receive. So my final question to you this morning before we close in prayer. This is for everyone in this room. Christians, those that know Christ, if you're here and you don't know Christ, will you do what is necessary Will you do what is necessary for you to do today? Will you receive the greatest gift of all, the forgiveness of your sins and a relationship with Christ? And if you have, will you extend that gift to others starting right now? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes right there where you are as we get ready to pray. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. My prayer for all of us is that we've received Christ as our Savior. That you've received Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. That you have made that decision. That you've received the greatest gift that was ever given. But my prayer also is that if you have not done that, that this morning, starting right now, that you would make the decision to surrender. To cry out to him. To ask him to save you. To receive with great humility and honesty, the gift of salvation into your life. Your life is not too messed up. Your situation is not too far gone. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. What matters is how far Christ is willing to go. And he is so willing to go right where you are. And he'll meet you right where you are and show you his love and show you his grace if you're willing to admit that you need him. And so here's what I want to do this morning. If you're here and you don't know Christ, I'm going to ask that in just a moment, we're going to pray. We're going to have a time of invitation, a time to respond. Maybe you would come and just bend a knee in the front and you would just bend a knee and say, Lord, I just ask that you would do a great work in my life. I'm going to ask that you would save me from my sins. I believe and I put my faith and trust in you. And you would find out what it means to receive eternal life, putting your faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone for the forgiveness of sins. But if you're here this morning and you know Christ, And maybe you're like those scribes that we read about or that we heard about. Those ones that would say, we know right where God is going to move. We know right where God is going to do. But we're not willing to take the time to go investigate. We're not willing to go get involved involved in what God is doing. Maybe you want to come this morning and just say, Lord, thank you for the greatest gift that is Christ. But I pray that you would revive in me a newness of my faith. Revive in me a joy of my salvation, that I would be excited to share your gift with those around me because everyone, everyone needs Christmas. Father, I pray that you would work in and through these lives this morning. Father, I pray that the message of the gospel would never grow old to our ears, that we would never cease to be challenged by what you have done for us, what you're willing to do for those that would put their faith and trust in you. Father, thank you for your grace. And again, Lord, I pray that even that prayer may never get old to us, that we never, never may get to the points where speaking of things as, as simple as your gospel, as simple as your grace and your love and your mercy get to a point where we get bored or apathetic, or complacent. But that it would push us and challenge us to realize the level of gratitude and praise we need to have for you. Because when we needed it most, 
and we were even unaware of what we needed, you came. You came. And you gave us a sign. And you said the sign is to all people, anyone that would be willing to look can receive your gospel by placing their faith and trust in you and you alone. What a beautiful sign it was and what a beautiful sign it is. And so I pray that every Christmas, Lord, really every day for us as followers of Christ, that we would allow your sign to be shown to those around us. Fill us, Lord, with your presence. May we worship you freely this morning as we celebrate and lift up the name of Christ. We need you more, Lord, today than ever before. I pray that you would work, Holy Spirit, in and through the lives of these people. Encourage those that need to be encouraged to remind them that they are not forgotten, that their mess is not too far gone, and that you are able to work in and through their lives. That there is a purpose and a plan that we may not see, but we can trust. Father, and whatever else needs to be done this morning, I pray that we would just respond to you as we just spend these few moments in prayer this morning. Father, thank you for all that you've done and will do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet as the band kind of just plays for us this morning. I'm going to ask that you would just spend some time in prayer there where you are. If you'd like to come and bend a knee and pray, please do that. We want to give you just a few moments to respond to what God is doing in your life. Do you want to come and pray and bend a knee and thank him for the gift he gave? then feel free to come and do that. Maybe you want to pray in your seats. Whatever God is doing, would you just respond to him as we continue in prayer this morning?